This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. there Knicks fans how you doing it's your boy John of the Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast um coming at you uh recording this on a Thursday uh so great episode today just actually had a conversation with uh Dave Early who you probably know from Twitter if you are on Twitter um he also writes for Liberty Ballers uh he uh, writes about the Sixers and given that the Sixers were eliminated uh, not too long ago, and I, I thought it would be fun to talk about some comparisons between Philly and New York, um, the basketball teams that is, and uh, do some fake trades. So we had a lot of fun. It was uh, it was a good podcast to um, I know for me, uh, get my mind um kind of off of stuff, which is uh, why I wanted to do a, a quick little intro. Um, I f- you know feel like I did one of these um. Gosh, whatever it was now, uh, three, four months ago, um, after George Floyd and all of those protests. And uh, now I'm doing another one, which I think um, tells you everything you need to know about the state of things and just where we're at. Because, you know, so two two separate things I just want to address. One, um. I, again, asked myself whether it was appropriate to record a podcast right now, and I ultimately decided to because I know for myself, this has been on my mind, um, all of this has been on my mind a lot, and yet this morning, I needed just a half an hour to zone out, so I put on one of my favorite podcasts and just um, listened to it, and I think... um, I I don't know if distractions is the right word, but, you know, just kind of getting your mind off of serious weighty things can be good for everybody's uh, mental health every now and then. And I know um, for for reasons that I will never fully understand, uh, this podcast serves as that for other people. So, um, yes, I am recording a podcast and we'll continue to record a podcast from here on in. Um, But the second thing and the more important thing is, you know. So the players staged um, a wildcat strike uh, on Wednesday night and I, the immediate reaction by a lot of people were, was, you know, what, what's next, right? So what's, what's the next step? What's the next action? What's the next tangible thing that the players are going to do so that this just isn't a night off or as it is now two and possibly three nights, not playing basketball. And I, I just, I really just want to say, and, and you may have said, 
seen me say something like this on Twitter or in my newsletter, I just don't think that that's the appropriate question to be asking right now because, you know, yes, there were protests and that constitutes action um, after George Floyd. And, but, and there was a lot of things said and written and it was all, you know, wonderful and inspiring. And yes, all of the things, you know, this is proof that it takes more to enact real change. And I don't know what the next step is for the NBA players. um, But I know that this was a big action and I know a lot of people took notice and I believe them when they say that they are going to try to figure out how to take more steps from here. And I hope they do. Um, I don't even really care what it entails because it's just sometimes you got to upset the apple cart. And that's why, like, you know, not to really get into some stuff that people really don't want to hear anybody talk about, let alone me. But like with the with the rioting and stuff and like, yeah, I know rioting's not good and that's obvious. But again, people people take notice of that stuff. And I, yes, it would be wonderful if we could live in a world where bad things did not need to happen to make people wise up and maybe change their their way of thinking. And I am God knows the last person in the world to sit here and act like I know the correct path forward or what the answers are or any of those things. I, I don't. Um, and I don't pretend to be the moral authority on anything. But what I do know um, is that we live in a country that is not fair right now. Um, and has never been fair. And that that needs to change. It should have changed a long time ago. And it is it is it has still not changed. And. I would like to, I would like to think that my grandkids, I'm not, forget about my, my daughter. I'm, I'm not so naive as to, to think it's going to change that soon, but I would like to think that my grandkids can maybe grow up in a country that, that is not the case and things have changed. And the only way that is going to happen is again, by making people uncomfortable and taking big steps that of course people will look at the steps and be like that's that's stupid or that's not justified by this particular incident or this or that or whatever reaction again i it's, i don't care i don't care um i'm happy they did it and i'm just looking forward to more from them and hopefully other sports leagues and just other other people other other powerful people in this country um doing things that will continue to you know, upset those that have the real power because um, that's what it's going to take. And um, it has not happened thus far. And hopefully it will um, for for all of our sakes. Um, I, I feel comfortable saying that. So that's all. That's my piece. Um, sorry if that came out jumbled or <laughs> whatever it probably came out. But I trust that everybody listening to this podcast at this point knows me well enough because um, I am an open book to know that, um, you know, my my intentions are, are in the right place. And I just. I just want us to be better. I just, I just want us to be better. All right. Welcoming to the Knicks Film School podcast right now. Um, it's weird that I have done 
God, two, 200 some odd episodes of this. And I've never had this guest on. I don't know why. That's my fault. That's my bad. Um, because I think back when I had, oh goodness, probably under a hundred Twitter followers, he was one of the first people that interacted with me on a regular basis. And I don't, I, let me introduce him first and then I'll, I'll, I'll talk about him. Um, so David Early, D- excuse I don't know why I just said David when you told me to say Dave. <laughs> Dave Early. It's all good. It's all good. I mean, your natural name is David. So it's not like I'm saying the, yeah, yeah. the wrong name, but you, you know him on Twitter as Dave Early. Um, if you want to join my mom as the only one, you're, you're fine in that club. So it's funny because my, so my name is Jonathan and, and everybody calls me John. Um, which if you did that, uh, up until I was like, gosh, probably in high school and my, my mom was around, she would like yell at you, which of course was wonderful for me to have my friends like calling me John and then get scolded by my mom for calling me John (laughs) instead of Jonathan. Anyway, so Dave Early writes for, uh, Liberty Ballers. He is, um, a, can I call you a hinky disciple? Is that fair? Uh, disciple is sure that's a privilege uh, I, I would have said fan but yeah <laughs> no you will no listen there are fans and then there are people who and i, I was gonna say like are you i don't want to say obsessed but like because that's the wrong connotation people who not only appreciated what he was doing but understood it in the context of the larger nba as a whole and in order to in order to truly I personally and feel free to disagree, I think in order to have a true appreciation and understanding for what Hinky tried to do, you have to have a really good understanding of the league and how it works. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, that's fair to say. Yeah. And you and you do, which is why, you know, even though you you pay closest attention to the Sixers, you so this is what I was gonna say before, before I introduce you. You used to give me, and still do occasionally, such shit on the Knicks, and boy. It would be so aggravating talking to you on Twitter. And the reason it would be aggravating, I'll just come out and admit it, is because you were right. I knew you were right. You knew you were right about a lot of the, a lot of the things and, and kind of, you know, if the Knicks would make a move or, you know, be rumored to do something or whatever. Um, because the Knicks did a lot of stupid shit that, listen, no, no NBA executive ever does anything that's like 100% destined to fail. But I think me and you... Um, maybe think similarly, even though I may not have always wanted to admit it about the smarter approaches to team building and then maybe not so smart approaches to team building. Is that fair to say? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think we often, I think we often disagree more in like theoretical, you know, perspectives, which is hard to even define in how many ever, I think when we started uh, having Twitter back and forth, we had less characters to work with too. Probably so. <laughs> this is very true, and there were think, which which necessitated like there were you'd have like two replies that I would need to catch up on by the time I finished writing the, the first thing. Exactly. That I wrote yeah, I remember when we met. I, I was they were like, "Why did you always talk to him?" I was like, "Because he always replied." <laughs> and now, and now you have like eleven thousand followers, and you're breaking scoops all the time. So I yeah, cool. I don't know about that. Uh, like I like I say on here, I don't I don't really know what it means to be a journalist. I don't consider myself one, but people tell me things, and I try to parse out what may may or may not be true. Um, so I reached out to you. Um, I th- think the day that the Sixers got eliminated from the playoffs, because um, I thought it would be fun to do a pod with you for a couple of reasons. One. And you, I think you intimated this, um, 
more than I maybe came out and said it, which is that the way things are with the Sixers, although obviously they are, um, they have more talent and are more set up for success than the Knicks have been at any time in the last, you know, 20 plus years. There are some traces of Nixiness uh, going on within, within Philly. Is, would you, would you agree with that? I see a lot of, I see, a lot of similarities to Nixiness, yeah. Um, what do you? Th- I mean, you look. You follow these, both of these teams. What like? Is there one thing that set that kind of was like, oh yeah, this is this is not a good sign, or is it just a, like a big picture? Like, d- describe what you see now when you look at the Sixers. So I think the current the current state is Nixiness in that. It sounds like they're, you know, Elton Brand just gave a press conference, their GM, and he basically said, when I was new, which was 2018, I was sort of in over my head, and now I'm ready to put my stamp on this group. Oh, my God. And I, How much I money has he spent since then? What? How much money has he spent since then? There's $289 million tied up in Horford and Harris over the next however many years. So, Yeah. If you want to spin this like he had nothing to do with that, which some people do, and, you know, it's been reported, uh, the book Tanking to the Top by your own Weitzman is really good about illustrating how the Sixers managing partner, Josh Harris, might have taken more and more control over the team. I think you sort of see this evolution with him of like he was not able to collaborate as much as he would have liked when Sam Hinkie was there. He might have been relatively hands-off when Brian Colangelo was there. And both of those, to a lot of people, were PR nightmares for different reasons, right? Indeed, so, yes. So I, it feels to me, it feels to a lot of fans like at some point he rolled up his sleeves and he was like, let's do this the way we do my, my day jobs. Let's do an investment committee. So it's going to be me, the other managing partner, David Blitzer. Our CEO, Scott O'Neill, who you might remember from his Knicks days. I, There's definitely I some Knicks indeed. there. And is um, who's the who's the who's the minority owner that is like tight with Embiid? Um your own mentioned in his book. Is it Levin? Is that my am I making that up? Uh Grubin, I believe. Maybe that's okay. Yeah. I know there's one minority owner owner who's like I, I remember when I first pitched like a fake Embiid trade, your own reached out to me and they're like, yeah, they're not trading Embiid. And I was like, well, you know, OK, but wh- why is that? And he's like, this owner is you have no idea how tight they are. So, yeah, that that could be that could be it. He also talked about David Heller, who's no longer there. He was bought out and he was he was a very hands on for an owner owner. Um, maybe not necessarily in a bad way, because some people liked the off season that you remember when they didn't have a GM in 2018. I do. Yes. And I think that's when they were sort of like, we can do this. We've got Embiid. We've got Simmons. We have all of Hinky's picks still. Let's, let's just sort of have fun with it. It's a hobby. It's a passion. And it, it just vibed to me. Like, you know, as a Knicks fan, I, I grew up a Knicks fan and you always felt like Dolan has had too much say. You always want him to have less say. So I started wondering, Oh, is that what this is going to be? And is that why they, insisted that whatever GM they bring in has to work with Colangelo's, which feels a lot like, hey, Phil, you got to work with Steve Mills. Hey, Perry, you got to work under Steve Mills. You know, it's no, it's reminiscent. Um, I think that the big difference is obviously, you know, and it's interesting, I guess, in retrospect that and and we both I mean, your own has been on this podcast. We both read the book, the 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 image that I get 
from those early Sixers days uh, when Hinky had essentially, I'm, I'm losing track of the time, but it, it felt like three full years or did it maybe not even get to three full years? Not uh, even three full. Like the summer of 13 to yeah. the winter of 15 is when uh, Jerry Colangelo came on board. Yes. Okay. So, but it felt like for that time, he, like, no one was stepping in. Like, there was definitely, there were people whose feathers were getting actively ruffled, and maybe those people were starting to go um, up the up the ladder and complain or whatever, but he, I mean, he could do whatever he wanted. Um, yeah, that's my understanding, too. Yeah, and I, yeah, I mean, obviously you would know. Um, and no, I not don't really just well, <laughs> let me listen. Whatever you, your own is written, maybe. Yeah, but I, I know from our conversations, you've you you probably know on more than you you you'd probably know more than you let on i'll just leave it at that um Go back, read a lot of like john gonzalez who's now at the ringer yes he, he's given some amazing accounts of the sort of insider politics and i you know if it was written at some point i've probably read it in a weirdly recent number of days oh, I, <laughs> I i believe you um but what what i was gonna say is dolan i don't think that there was ever ever that period of time under me you know when actually oddly enough you know when there might have been under Layden at the very beginning um i don't and again it's 20 years ago almost so I, I maybe i there's accounts that i have i am not familiar with but my understanding is back then early on he kind of gave it to Layden and trusted Layden, and and hmm. that ended up with you know the shannon andersons and the uh, othella harrington's and um good old days Yes, Howard Isley's of the world. Um, shout out to Howard Isley, proud assistant coach of the Knicks. Um, shout out to Isley, yeah. Yeah, until I guess a, a year ago. Um, so, yeah, there's some. And so the other reason I wanted to have you on is we're going to both put on our GM hats. I guess you'll be Mr. Brand and I'll be Mr. Mister Perry, I guess, still um, until further notice. Um, it's funny and, because <laughs> we're both unsure if either of them have any say. Well, Let's talk about that for a second, because the rep- to me, it feels like if Brandt got fired a year from now, I don't think anyone would be shocked. But it seems like he's going to he's going to get the year. Um, maybe that's not the case. I mean, we just saw what happened with Nick McMillan, but it feels like he's going to get the year, right? Yeah, I think he's going to get the year. I, I don't know what the title of the whoever, whoever he hires is going to get. And I think a lot of people fairly question, is whoever he hires under him going to have a bigger voice at that table? That's interesting. Than he does himself. You know, is he going to be this sort of ceremonial, public facing, wonderful relationships guy? I, You know, it's funny. It, it, and I'm curious to get your take on this. You know, I mean, look, the Knicks have Rose and, and Wes is there and Perry is there and they're assembling this whole team and... You know, Sacramento's trying to do whatever the hell they're trying to do. Uh, but like, it, I wonder if this is an attempt by NBA teams or owners in particular to like force synergy uh, with n- not the NBA uh, tool synergy, like <laughs> synergy yeah, yeah. in the in the traditional sense um, behind the scenes, like thinking like, well, you know, in San Antonio, Pop has input. But R.C. Buford is technically the GM. Like, are, are people trying to emulate that? Or I don't I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is, but it's I guess I just wonder why why more owners don't just try to keep it simple. And or maybe I'm I don't know. Does it strike you as more owners are heading in this direction? Uh, it does to me. 
to have a what a figurehead of someone who just like to force different people in positions of power where it's like the idea that we're all just going to work together and it doesn't matter if maybe like two different people report to me it'll it'll be fine like that type of deal i honestly i don't know i can't speak for like how the dynamics work with enough teams i'm sure that rc buford in san antonio has a lot to say, even though Pop's technically his boss, right? Pop's the president. Technically, yeah. But you figure he's more embedded in the coaching. Um, I can speak to Philadelphia. I know it was very much a what they call collaborative. Like they say this word that it's to a degree, it's like Hodor. It's like that's what they say. <laughs> that's um, great. <laughs> and Bran was asked about it, and he actually said a couple days ago that that kind of didn't work for us, and now I'm ready to put my stamp on things. So this is so, going yeah, to be interesting. Yeah, so theoretically, he is now in command and wasn't. Huh. But it's still, there was all these rumors that the the head of the analytics department, Alex Rucker, who people think is going to get fired, had the biggest voice under ownership. And so maybe they want to spin it to us like the people who decided upon Horford and Harris are out. The guy who, as far as we all know, didn't even like those moves. Elton is now up and who knows. But yeah, I think they want to emulate the Spurs, but they just can't. Yeah, because it's really freaking hard and it comes down to the actual people, not the the system. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, look, I have hope in New York because uh, Wes and Rose obviously go back, whatever it is, uh, 30, 40 years together. So, you know, knock on wood. Um, I would have more hope in, in their front office than the Sixers right now. And I don't know if a lot of people are talking about that, but uh, I. Yeah, I don't his hands off for a while. My my understanding of what's going on now is that Dolan is the. um it gets to him when the when the signature needs to appear on the check. And that's I mean, I've had I, again, I'm not trying to make myself out to be like I have a ton of sources within the garden. But the next person who says to me or even intimates to me that Dolan has been like involved in any of the stuff that's happened since Rose has come aboard will be the first. So, I, hmm. you know, I don't know. We'll see. And, but although although in fairness, I did have somebody who was like, it's great right now. But you never know with him because it could just, yeah. yeah. Um, Maybe he'll insist on a no trade clause. Oh, God, please. For the wrong guy. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That was, don't don't make me relive that. And I had so, I put that in my little Will Smith face, you know, most like worst Knicks moments of the last uh, 25 years thing. And people, and I think it got like smoked in the first round. People were like, oh, that wasn't a big deal. I'm like, are you kidding me? If, if wait, they, wait, do we mean Mellows or Bakers? Oh, Mellows. Who, but, wait, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> I hate you. Um, <laughs> low key, low key, just one of the more embarrassing things that has happened in the NBA. Yeah. Like Ron Baker player option. Oh, I know. I, I wanted to ask you one more question before we get into some fake trade stuff. Um, have I'm sure you spent a lot of time thinking about this. Is there one moment for you? And I, I thought of this when listening to the little post this week when he had uh, Zach had your own on and he identified the the faults pick slash that trade and then obviously the Tobias trade and then um, Butler what happened this past summer is like the three touch touchstone points but I'm curious if, if there's a moment where you feel it started to go wrong like for, for you was it the day 
that like Colangelo was hired? Was it the day Hinky was fired? Was it the day that they traded for Fult for the pick that became Fultz? Or it, is, do you think it there is not one moment where it all started to go wrong? Um, I think it's it clearly started to go wrong when Brian took over. Um, there was this sort of immediate, uh, you know, he came in with the reputation of having turned around Toronto, even though he he sort of didn't at all. He did, he turned it around for one year, and then they were back to the basement the next year. And you know, he comes in with Gerald Henderson for too much money or Jared Bayless and Gerald Henderson for too much money each. There's picks going out instead of picks coming in, and guys like Okafor and Nerlens are not getting traded and not getting traded and time's going by. So at the time then, it was like, they're fine. They still have all this great stuff. I mean, with Covington and Bede and Simmons, we can pretty much pencil them in for 50 wins every year, and and they have still tons of picks. But it, it definitely started to feel like, this is going very badly and, and could go worse. Hopefully they'll be fine. But I think they salvaged that when they just brought in Butler. They, no matter how much, how many mistakes you made, if you had just kept Butler, I think they would have been fine. Yeah. I, I, I wonder, um, how much we'll collectively look back at the, you know, and who knows what would have happened in, uh, overtime. But if that shot doesn't bounce in, um, in game seven last year, like it's an interesting alternative, you know, universe. Um, you got you to favor Toronto at home, but if Philly could have come back the next year with like just an average bench, just one or two playable players that were not Jonathan Simmons and Greg Monroe. Hey, yeah, but I, 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 I guess the other part of it is like, I, I, you know, and again, this is not based on anything I've really heard, but like it, it feels like Butler going to Miami is the first step in another super team down there that's happening. I don't oh, know. Could I, be. I mean, would could it shock be. you? It wouldn't shock me. No, I think I was it your newsletter that was talking about the potential for Giannis to go to the Mavs or Miami. Well, that I did hear from someone that I, I don't, I like, I have no idea if the, we're all dreading that. Yeah. Either, either there or, or, um, golden state or, or God forbid oh. Dallas. Oh, Let's get into fake trades for your um, possibly inept team that is still very good and my uh, inept team, or sorry, my bad team, who is maybe maybe not as inept anymore. Reason for optimism. Reason, listen, that's that's my story of my life. Um, no, 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 but very fair reason for optimism right now, I would say. You think so? Yeah, for sure. I mean, not that there's tons to work with, but I think there's there's only there's only up where I didn't necessarily feel that way with the last regime. Well, I think the last regime felt we don't have to talk about it for very long, but I think the last regime felt like if we just like if you <laughs> if you build it, they will come and there was never going to be a question of the um <laughs> the people coming potentially questioning the structure, the soundness of the structure before they walked into the door and, right. you know, and they're like, Oh wait, we didn't realize that the people were going to be like, wait, is this roof going to cave in on us? Well, apparently certain people had those questions that they wanted to ask. Um, I think they, I think they were terrible, but let me add this before we move on. They did. They had a 12 and a half percent chance to have a super team. I think, I think if they got Zion, they would have traded him for AD and that would have attracted at least another superstar. Um, I mean, well, Kemba basically said if they had gotten somebody, I mean, I'm assuming he was talking about KD, but if they had gotten somebody else, he would have come. Um, what did he say? Like a week or two ago. So yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I was, I was a hundred percent comfortable with the tank. And if they, 
um, came out next year and shocked me. Um, and, um, well, and, and this will get into our conversation. Like if they, if they approach the summer in a certain way, um, and they approach the draft in a certain way and they approach who they play next year in a certain way and in a way that would be frankly surprising to me, um, I, I, God, no one would be happier than me if they came out and like, you know, (laughs) tried to, tried to get to the top of that draft. But, um, all right. So I'm putting on my, okay. I'm officially putting on my Scott Perry hat here. I guess I'm calling you because you have all the, all the pieces here and I, and I have like cap room. So hmm, if I'm Scott Perry, who am I asking you about first? That's an interesting question. Well, I have one thing. I have Julius Randall. Julius Randle is a basketball player who puts up he 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 there are numbers that he puts up puts up numbers <laughs> um and I oh so the other thing I should probably tell people we're we're going to we have taken truth serum both me and you so we're we're okay, not okay. we're not trying to hide anything um but he does not work he does not work for my team um at all so I'm wondering is there any feasible way that he would work on your team do you think so i i would tell you from a basketball standpoint me building a champion while i'm here i gotta say no but i i will give you a little optimism i'll tell you we don't know what's going to happen with the salary cap and the luxury tax line like there are some i think it was kyle newbeck the philly voice who wrote this sort of nightmare scenario that the cap drops like a lot of money and the tax line drops like $30 million, which would put my bosses, the ownership in Philadelphia, like facing a potential $85 million luxury tax bill for a team you and I would agree is not really going anywhere. This is true. So there are scenarios for sure where we would look to dump a Horford or dump a Harris and take, take your poo poo platter of like Randall. Maybe we could even get Taj and Elf, Alfred before Alfred's money kicks in for 2020, like right after the season. So actually my, my understanding of the CBA and me, God, me and Jeremy went, um, he actually like, yeah, he was no better than me. He, well, he was emailing like, um, I think he actually tried to get in touch with Larry Coon, but he settled for some other like prominent cap expert. Um, so they're, they're, if they're traded, um, whether it's on draft night or whatever, like that, that salary is guaranteed. So if you're, if you want Taj or Elf, you're you're getting them for the full whatever it is, ten and all right. And so then, yeah, yeah, you don't, you don't want that. Um, well, you brought up Harford. Okay, so Al Harford, uh, it would appear to me, if my math is correct, will be making eighty one million dollars over the course of the next three seasons. Um, sixty. Nine, 68.5, 68.5. Yeah. 68.5 of which, um, is, is guaranteed. What an interesting guarantee number, by the way, of 14 million. Like, are we, is it really, I guess there's a team they thought like we could wave him and then stretch the 14 million. That's whatever. That, that. I, I have heard. And, you know, I, I've gotten pushed back on this, that they, that they have the stretch in mind. So it's possible that they thought about that. Uh, it's it's odd. I think they also might have been thinking um, about repeater taxes and stuff like that. When they that's a good that. point. That's a good point. Um, I mean, yeah, every if penny counts down the road. It, listen, if you stretch fourteen million dollars, it's not it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you have Al. You want to get rid of Al? Um, yeah. So if we sent you Julius and we took Al, what what do you th- is there anything you could do that would that would make that 
that would make that worth our while? Well, yeah, to get the money to work, you're going to have to put someone else in. So they would like a shooter. So well, maybe no, we, we could take on count? Alfred. We could take on Harford because remember, we have all, all this cap space. Oh, it's just cap space. Yeah. Oh, so we're just going to take Al into like we as of now, I think we have um, uh, upwards of like 30 something million dollars to spend. So, yeah, we're, we're good. Well, it, it certainly becomes enticing for us from a basketball standpoint if we could move uh, Julius to a third team, maybe break them down into two smaller contracts, like just to get a couple shooters on the roster, even like a Langston Galloway for six million, seven million would be great, you know. Uh, and then we we probably would be willing to incentivize with a couple picks. I, was, I think it was it was a Chuni Pooh who was on Twitter talking about like I would really consider this for maybe the unprotected twenty twenty four when we don't know if Embiid's going to be there okay. as as like the top asset, and then another pick at some point. And maybe a swap or whatever. So all right, so we'll have to we'll have to rope in. A th- so you're saying if we could get a third team that will take on Julius, yeah, you can't put him out there with Ben Simmons and Embiid. The spacing is already so bad. So you have to. But have d- a didn't you see the video from a from a year ago? He was draining threes in an empty gym. Like that's in there somewhere. That's it's all right. Just- all right, we'll take Mitchell Robinson as his floor spacer too. Then that's all that video. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's. Mitchell, oh God, Mitchell Robinson with his with his shoulder high uh, <laughs> handles. It's there was there was a Reddit video going around that his form before this summer looks like Kevin Durant's. Did you ever see that? Um, I mean, I've seen videos of him him shooting. Um, but, but someone was specifically like Robinson shoots just like Durant. I I did not uh, I did not catch that comparison. <laughs> I'll, I'll find it for you. Pro- probably for the best that I didn't see that. Um, okay, so we, we could probably find a team that would take. And, and so it's interesting you'd be interested in in Langston, um, who only makes I don't think he makes a lot. I think he makes like ten million dollars, give or take a few. Um, I just, I just met him as like a template for what we, what we might need, you know? Well, I actually think it's interesting because, you know, Detroit has money to spend, although, um, obviously they, they would like to sign, uh, Christian Wood. I mean, there's always Charlotte. Um, I don't know if Charlotte has anything that is, um, of interest to you. Um, you know, Malik Monk, you know, he, maybe he's, he, I would ha- happily take Monk. He can shoot. He, he can shoot. If he's going to play next year, he could, he could shoot. Um, yeah. And some people talk about Rozier for the Sixers. I, so who did I mention this to? I think Jackson Frank posted something on Twitter that people were talking about Rozier and I was like, they're putting into it. Right. Yeah. Well, I was like, are there people who really want Terry Rozier in the Sixers? And he's like, yes, apparently. Are you interested in Terry Rozier? Uh, no, no, but I understand that if you are dumping a guy like Horford for salary reasons, then you're going to need to take a bad contract back. So that, you know, you don't look at him as like a guy we need who completes the process, but you, you, you start entertaining all of those guys. Like you certainly look at an Otto Porter or a Harrison Barnes just because maybe they fit a little better and the money similar. So let's, let's assume for argument's sake that Charlotte would, def- would, would send you Rozier and we would send Charlotte uh, Randall, even if we had to throw in like a, a future second or something, mm-hmm. if we took on Harford, what what you're what do you what do you what are you starting with the 2024 pick? I have a problem giving that unprotected because Embiid may not be here. My my read on him is that 
he's not going to ask for a trade. This is not reporting. I'm just this is just sure. Yeah, tea leaves. He's not going to ask for a trade, but he is up to here with the with management. You know. Uh, okay. I get I get the sense that he's just seen enough dysfunction at the managerial level for like three careers, and so the idea of him signing an extension at some point at this point to me feels far off. So that's interesting because. So his contract is up in the 22-23 season. Yep. Um he will be eligible to sign an extension. I have to refresh myself on my designated veteran extension rules, but I believe he will be eligible to sign an extension after next season. Okay. Because there will be 2 years remaining on his deal and I know that you need to um do certain things like uh, I, th- I think make an All NBA team, um, but uh, right, right, yeah. We have to get Jeff Ballone on here to tell us. <laughs> <this stuff. laughs> I used to know this stuff like a back of my hand, and I've gotten lazy. Um, but you, I guess my point is, regardless of when exactly he could sign that or not, or if he's eligible to sign it or not, um, the the clock is going to start ticking on him in terms of like, okay, if he doesn't want to be here, then the time to trade him you know, is going to be sooner before that information became public that he didn't sign it. Right. Oh yeah, certainly. I think, yeah. it, I think the time would probably be next summer, but we're, well, right. you know what, what the hell we could talk about Embiid, right? We're only, we're only two friendly GMs having a conversation. That's all it is. That's all it is. This is just talk. This is just conversation. Um, so we have Mitchell Robinson that let, put aside the fact that obviously it's going to take a lot more than that. And we could get into that. Does Mitchell Robinson, do you feel like Mitchell Robinson makes sense on your team as currently constituted in any way? I can't because it's so clear to any Sixers fan that when Embiid is out, you cannot put Ben with people who don't space the floor. Okay. We've seen it with Boban. We've seen it with Greg Monroe. And I know those guys are terrible compared to Mitchell's sort of trajectory that we have in our minds. I would much rather Mitchell. But... I don't know. Like, who would you have? You'd have to have Curry and Clay out there so, to, to like even that out. It would. It would have to be three. It would have to be Simmons and three plus shooters. Which, yep. Right now, I if you, I guess if you squint to well, I mean, look. If Harris is at the four, if you if if Simmons is at the one and Harris is at the four, and you have two plus shooters at the other spots, you could. Pr- pr- but the problem is you don't have. Um, you know, okay. Well, we do have the eighth pick in the draft, um, and there are uh, Devin Vassell is a, a purportedly going to be a very good defender, a very good shooter at the next level. Um, maybe the I don't know about the best shooter in the draft, which can be pretty good. We also have the twenty seventh pick in the draft, which um, like there's some shooting in this draft. But look, we okay. So Mitch and those two picks obviously is also not getting it done. Um, what if we, what if we took on, what if we took on Al Harford? So now we're talking Embiid, Harford, and you get Mitch, you get both of our, the, both of our first round picks this year. And, uh, I, 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 I guess I'm, I guess I got to throw in, I got, I got to throw in an unprotected pick. Is that, does that move the needle at all for, I don't see it. I, you know, I mean, if I were Elton brand, I would say it, it doesn't matter. Even if you approximated the right value, we, we can't lose in bead and like 
show up with a rebuild, you know, with these young guys. We would have to like need at a the guy. very worst, we would need Bradley Beal to play with Simmons so we could sell that to the fans. I think that's how they'd look at it. Yeah, and I, I don't know I don't know that our assets are gonna be enough to get well, actually, hold on, let's talk this out. Cause I, I we wanna get nuts, let's get nuts. So I wonder, I wonder, um, so let's, the short list of players that if Embiid got traded this summer, right? Yeah. That would appease whatever you want to say. Sixers ownership, Sixers fans. Um, Devin Booker is not getting traded. Uh, Donovan Mitchell is, is not getting traded. Um, who am I forgetting? Oh, you, you, you could do like some fans do the uh, out of bio plus shooters. Do you uh, think Miami would trade Bam out of bio straight up for Joel Embiid right now? I'm not so sure that they would. Maybe I'm being naive, but I'm, I don't know. I think that they would, and I think they would they pony up quite a bit more. I think uh, really, you know, Riley is known for having this very different culture from Daryl Morey. But what they sort of have in common is talent wins. You know, let bring in the talent, we'll make it work. So I think he would just say, "Look, this guy's that good." We're going to get him in better shape than anyone else ever has. We're going to make sure to play him 65 games of the regular season and no more. And he's going to be 100% for the playoffs. Plus, then we're, we can attract someone else. I think that's how they'd probably look at it. Man, if if you guys were able to get Bam and Harrow from Miami for Embiid, oh, goodness gracious. Do you think uh, that they would be good? It's hard to imagine. Again, you have that problem with the non-shooting lineup. You got Bam and I know I know can- Bam's not a shooter. But oh man, and if they could, and if they could divert Harford, all right. I'm not helping the Heat. I'm not helping Pat Riley. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, let, let's let's bring let's bring it back. Okay, so um, put put aside the the Heat players for a second. Um, I guess it's really just Booker, Booker Mitchell, and Beal as guys that are like conceivably, or at some point in the last year, were conceivably like potentially available. But so I wonder, I wonder what Washington would do if they had a chance to get. Um, Mitchell Robinson and our our entire draft and an unprotected pick from us next year. See, to me, if I'm Washington, that has some appeal because an unprotected pick from us next year. Um, even though we're getting Embiid, like there's a chance, just like Embiid and a whole bunch of nothing in New York stinks. And Embiid is hurt and lollygags his way through next year and they win 30 some odd games. And maybe you get an unprotected, you know, like a top five pick in the best draft in years. I don't know. I, they're probably going to want more for Beal, but I bet you they'd listen, right? I, I think Washington would listen. I mean, they had Beal this year. They didn't even make the bubble. He's, he or they barely made the, the bubble. Yeah. He was one of the worst uh, defensive players in the league. He was not good defensively. That's true. You know, and what is it, DPIPM? He was down there with like Trey. So, you know, it's sometimes I see him all about the same level as like a CJ McCollum. He's like the best non all star in the league, uh, and McCollum deserves more credit than that because he's so clutch. And McCollum's awesome, and McCollum, like God, McCollum's floater game is just. I I don't think I ever appreciated it until the last several weeks when I actually took the time to watch a lot of Blazers games. Yeah, he's he's really good. Um and we and we've always got to watch him play extra when you follow the Knicks, you follow their uh the Sky Gym stuff and he's always in there with them, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um I'm trying to think if I do I want to put all of my eggs in the 
Well, I don't, I mean, we'll see. Maybe I don't even know if Washington would do that, but if Washington did do that, if Washington could send, could send you Beal, would you basically do a Beal for Embiid trade straight up? If you could get Beal for Embiid. I, I wouldn't, I think Embiid's a lot better. I think. So you'd need something else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, for me, I would begin to entertain that type of stuff if I heard he wants out. Like, if he secretly came to me and said, you got to trade me, that's when I'd start taking calls like that. Um, but what about... I, I would want more still. I, I would bet that I could dump Horford with a couple picks and try to approximate, like, a couple Damari Carrolls and just make it fun for him again. Yeah. Yeah, so, okay. Maybe it beads a, a dead end. Although I'm trying to think, what if we if we took it... If we took... <laughs> If we took Harford, do so we're taking Harford and B, two guys who play and Harris. Then we'll talk. <laughs> you brought up Harris. Harris is making. I can't. I can't even say it with a straight face. Um, and, and here's the thing: Tobias Harris is not. If like if Tobias Harris was signed to just like four for a hundred, right? Like that, whatever. That'd be fine. It'd be, it's, it's an oh. overpay, but it's fine. Yeah. Um, five for one eighty is um. It's it's not what you want. Um, I, I I approved of the trade for him, and I approved of the contract for him. So you can you can throw me under the bus as a bad GM for that, uh, with the caveat that if you're going to keep him for that price, you have to keep Butler and Redick too, and then you're just at least built to give it a shot. Oh, but I think there's such a thing as like I, I'm, this is not a good example, but like uh, it's the first one that came to my head, like Golden State, right? Like, is there you know, I don't know what Draymond Green is making, but like there are a lot of teams around the league that would not want Draymond Green for that money for for like they would not touch it with a 10 foot pole. But to the Warriors, he's absolutely worth he's making 22 next year. Oh, so that's actually not that bad. I thought it was more not terrible. Yeah, no, that's but not he, terrible. He's set to make 27 in the 23, 24 year. OK, so it's the years on a guy that's like maybe breaking down. But what you, the gist yeah, of it is pretty- like. He has a lot more value to the Warriors, and they didn't mind overpaying probably for his services. Or even if you want to use Clay, like Clay's not a you know he's not a primary or anything. He's right, maybe the greatest shooter alive. But would another team in the league necessarily want to spend that much money on Clay Thompson? Probably not. But on him, they're right. on or in there, they're happy to do it. Okay, um, God, is there? I mean, I'll hear you out on Harris. Like, what? How much Take you willing Harris, to- and we'll give you. Uh, so, what? What young players do you like? Do you like? Shake Milton, who makes like a million a year for th- the next three years or something. Do you like Matisse Thibel? Can we incentivize you to take less in draft pick capital? With I mean, I, I like Shake Milton. I don't know that Shake Milton is going to make a difference as my starting point guard. If unless I'm, you know, it's one thing to have Shake Milton as your starting point guard on your team. We took, we took truth serum. You don't want him as your starting point guard unless you're aiming for the number one pick. Well, that maybe that's enticing if we could keep. <laughs> yeah, he's a young guy. You don't have to go all out to win. Let let Frank get a few reps. Let him get a few reps. So, Matisse Thibel, how, how is? How, I have not. I have not looked at the statistics of late. I should know this, but Thibel uh, from from behind is he shooting threes? How how is he back there? He's not a guy you can rely on. He uh, let me look it up. He shot thirty five. 0.7% from three this year. On what volume? Uh, let's see what it says. I feel like he probably was not taking, he was taking probably like one three game, if that. Um, or He took 157 on oh, the year. Okay, so okay. So over that's... Two, over two attempts a game. Over two attempts a game, and he's at 35%. Okay, so 
there is a stretch four possibility there at some point. And he's also just a great basketball player and um, someone that you want on your team and someone that Mr. Mr. Tom Thibodeau, I bet you would, would very much like to have. So he, he's pretty small. He's not going to be a stretch four at any point. He's, he's a two guard in my opinion. I th- see, I, mean, I, I see him play and I, he, maybe he plays bigger in, in my mind. That's why I said that. Um, okay. So he's a wing. He's a straight wing. Okay. Yeah. He's a straight up wing. He's 22. He's a smart player. Like he's kind of, a winner, I think of Shane Battier sometimes with a less effective jump shot. You know, he's got like interests in other things. He's making the vlog. He's a smart guy. I, hey, listen, um, I'm here for vlogs. <laughs> I'm all so, about the I like him, but, it, you know, his elbow kind of looks like a bird wing when he shoots and it's really hard to bet on. I wouldn't be surprised if that 35% goes down next year at all. Good thing I gave you that truth serum. Um, yeah. So, well, and the other, the other young man, um, who, where is he? What is he doing? Um, is Zaire Smith? Uh, when's the last time we even saw Zaire Smith on a basketball so, court? Doing so I'm basketball one of, I'm one of his biggest fans outside of his family for sure. Uh, <laughs> That's good to I think. Know. <laughs> I think so let me give you that disclaimer. But I do, I do still think he could be a player. Um, he he! I want to give him the like Embiid two-year injury window and just say who knows. He he okay. reminds me a little bit of Frank in that like, if he can play, you know he'll at least be a pretty good defender because he's very athletic. He hounds the ball, um, but you just wonder about his shot. So I I can my my um my boss Leon Rose has told me that I am not allowed to trade for um. If I'm if I'm conducting a trade, at least more than half of the trade return has to be guys that I don't have to worry about their shot or have at least shown yeah. the propensity to shoot well in the past. So I, I guess that that leaves out the possibility of Zaire and Thibel. It's it's just shake and picks then. Well, hold on, wait. I, I'm I'm okay. interested. Thibel interests me. So it so Harris. So Harris and Thibel. Harris and Thibel. They're yours. <laughs> well, uh, okay, great. But um what 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 are we doing with what are we doing with picks here? All right, let me give you the uh the the 20 right, I guess I have to take Randall and then I have to go find a place to dump him. Well, uh, you don't necess- hold on. You don't necessarily let us worry about Randall, okay? Let's <laughs> why don't you let, talk to me about what you could give me. If, go if, give me two 8 million dollar shooters for Randall. And we'll give you the the 2023, the 2022 first, and the uh, the 2024 first. I guess you also have the 21st pick in this draft. Right, does that interest you? I'd be even happier to give you that instead. Well, I was saying instead. Nobody said anything about instead. You want to um, involve it? You get that, and we get 27. Swap those. So wait, hold on. Wait, who? What? Swap what? Oh, oh, okay. So you I get twenty one and you get twenty seven. So basically, right? we're we're moving up six spots. Okay. So yeah. let's let me let me let's. So I need to go out and find another home for Julius Randall that gets you. Listen, you're not getting two shooters. You're getting one shooter. Okay. Ugh. All right. Throw in Bullock then at least. Fine. We'll get. We, he's yours. I'll right. I'll I'll pack his bags. Um. <laughs> so we're giving you Bullock. I'm finding another home for Randall and I'm getting you a shooter on what do you want? An expiring contract? Or do you uh, want? Yeah. Yeah. Unless yeah. he's good. 
Unless he's good. This is really this is wonderful negotiating. Is this is this Bellinelli or is this you know, I don't know. <laughs> um all right, so whatever. I'm gonna need to Oh, you know who I could who I could probably send you? <laughs> I'm gonna send you Nimai uh I always screw up his first name. Uh Bailita in Sacramento. Oh, we we've always wanted him. We almost signed him. I remember. And there listen, are Sixers fans who believe they would have won the title last year if he was on the roster. Yeah, and it, you know what? The uh Elton Brand should quote um uh, a Bronx tale when all this fake trade gets completed and Bailey to walk through the door and he's going to, he's going to look at him and be like, now he's can't wait. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now. <laughs> oh God. Great movie. So we're sending Randall to, to Sacramento and Sacramento is going to send you Bailey to, um, we'll, we'll, we'll take on some other crappy money from Sacramento. If it, if it comes that we'll take on uh, oh what's his face? Corey, Corey Joseph. um, and so that the money works out there, that'll be the that'll be the Scott Perry tax. So on my way to Sacramento, the, I'm I'm bringing Julius Randall with me. Um, you're getting Bielitsa. <laughs> He's <laughs> going to be so happy to get him back if he takes that job. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just leave me be? Yep. <laughs> Listen, I don't know who to blame specifically for for that, but whatever i'm blaming someone and scott does not escape scott free uh no pun intended um okay so you're getting you're getting um bullock here um you're and you're getting uh Bielitsa and you're getting the 27th pick in the draft i feel like this is something i'm going to agree to and then i'm going to see it in the trade machine and puke somehow hold on wait i haven't even finished the deal yet <laughs> we're taking Harris and his with the one hundred and um forty eight million dollars left on his contract. Yep. Um my God. That's it's insane. I'm sorry. Can I it's, stepping out of role for a second? That's insane. Um it's insane, yeah. It's really insane. We're taking uh we're getting Thibel. We're haggling over beers here. That's why this is so honest. Yeah, exactly. Well, I finished my my beer that I started the the podcast. Oh, with. did you? I just meant <laughs> I just meant theoretically. Oh, yeah. okay. Sorry, I shouldn't I shouldn't admit that I <laughs> that I drink on this podcast. Um, it's so your daughter's birthday. Let's let's have one. Well, it'll she'll she'll it'll yeah. I'm celebrating three and a half weeks early. Um, yeah. so we're getting Thibel. We are getting the twenty first pick in the draft. So we're moving up um six spots. We're getting your. 2022 unprotected pick Mm -hmm. and then the 2024 pick with like top 10 protections maybe but what happens if it if it lands in the top 10 then we get it no 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 no. we're getting we're getting a first round pick one through six i need a first round i need that first round pick if I if I if that converts to two seconds or something, I'm going to get fired. Well, I'm probably no gonna get fired no no conversion. Then. It becomes unprotected the following year. So it's top six in 2024, and then it becomes unprotected in 2025. Yeah, let's do that. You're a little bit too eager to do this. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I one know, last honestly, one last thing one last if thing. If I did this, go ahead. I need I need I need swap rights in 22. Okay, swap rights in 22? Sure. All right, so let me just think about the team that I'm leaving you with. I am leaving you with, you still, you're still stuck with Horford. 
Yeah, I still have to use like two or three picks to dump him too. So well, I'm I'm hoping to get, leave you bereft of any picks and know, such such that you cannot do that. Um, I mean, I'm I'm freeing I'm freeing you up from uh, your salary structure is getting freed up with the cap potentially staying flat for another year or two. That may not matter. So I don't think I have to worry about you signing some big free agent who's going to make a difference. So how good do I, I think? I won't have a shred of cap room even yeah. if I completely lost Horford or Harris. Um, yeah, you would have to lose them both for it to make a difference. Yeah. And and yeah. you still have Josh Richardson, which I'm presuming you want to resign in, when he opts out of his player option in a year. Um, I don't so, think we do. Really? Yeah, I don't think he's in the cards. He's a, So he's a guy I want very much, like if the Knicks could get their shit together where they could like, I, 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 who knows what position they're going to be in a year from now, but I would spend money on Josh Richardson. I would give him years and I would give him some money. So we should throw him into this deal. Maybe I listen. I want my, I want my a- no, 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 no. I want my picks. I'll, I'll sign him in a year. Uh, leave me to my, my druthers there. Um, right. Let's see. So you, I'm leaving you with Embiid and Simmons and Horford and not a whole lot else. I really got to, I'm counting on Elton Brand and whoever he brings in to be creative in, I mean, maybe, maybe D'Antoni has some magic effect if, well, although wait, D'Antoni might not even go there. D'Antoni may take the Pacers job. Who Who's going to be your coach? I think Teron Liu is going to be their coach. Yeah. I, I, I think I would make this trade. <laughs> um, I think that they would consider this type of trade if they had something lined up for Horford. Like if they knew that they could convert him into, uh, you know, another guy that a team doesn't want. Could they convert him into Harrison Barnes? I think they might actually consider this because because so you want to voice Horford taxes. and Julius Randle on poor Scott Perry out in Sacramento. Oh my God, you're, gonna, you're right. You're going to give the guy a heart attack. He's going to take the worst of the worst from all of the Knicks and Sixers mistakes. God. But um, you know what? That's what you get, Scott. Yeah. That you shouldn't have agreed to be Steve Mills' guy because as, as far as we know, you did all the good stuff and Mills did all the bad stuff, but it's still on your resume, buddy. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, in all seriousness, though, if I was the Knicks, because here's the thing about, again, about Harris, he's overpaid by what, whatever somewhere between 10 and $15 million a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even, even by like regular, like, like every NBA contract or every, let me rephrase that. Every non-superstar NBA contract is an overpayment to some extent. He's overpaid by 10 to 15 million on top of that, like already that bar. That said, he's a local guy. I, I don't think he's a bad player by any means. I think he's a pretty good player. Um, you know, the shot, who the hell knows what's going to happen with the shot. He's not that old. He's like 26, right? 27? I think he's 26, 27. Uh, he, he can definitely shoot. He's not a he's not really an aggressive three-point shooter. Um, he's the kind of guy, you know this type, he's he, like Marcus Morris last year. He's much better when he's just like the guy and he can kind of do whatever he wants. Listen. On this team, you may you may be in luck. So, yeah. so just to just to put a cap on this thought, um, I am basically what I've done now. If I'm if I'm Perry out out on his way out the door, for what I've done for my bosses is I have given the Knicks not in terms of quality, but certainly in terms of quantity the best draft asset arsenal in the league. 
And yeah, if Philly agreed to this, and they probably only would because ownership was like, look, we can't afford this squad and they stink. <laughs> I, I don't think like a GM would just want to. I think he would, I think Brand especially would really want Harris there. He's like the team emotional leader and all that stuff. Yeah, we need that. Uh, we need an emotional leader. Yeah, but the Sixers do too because they might not always have the best chemistry. I don't know what the dynamic between Embiid and Simmons is. I don't think they're enemies, but I don't know that they're best friends. So That's a, a guy like Harris is nice for them. And I think the GM probably knows that better than anyone. So he wouldn't be eager to do this, but he could certainly have some type of mandate that he might agree to. Like, you've got to dump one of these guys. Whoever's cheaper to dump, do it. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I, I was gonna, I was planning on doing a whole Simmons trade segment, but there's no, I think, uh, we could agree that that's not, uh, well, uh, let's, let's, let's end on this. Um, uh, Simmons and Embiid, uh, I don't know. Somebody sleeps with somebody else's girlfriend, whatever. If someone issues a him or me mandate a la, uh, Kobe and Shaq in, uh, what year was it? Two, uh, five, four? Whatever, what, whatever the year it was. After the Pistons beat him, maybe? The year after the Pistons beat him, yeah. Yeah, 05. Um, is it an easy decision for you, or is it going to be heavily dependent on the offers? So I guess I'm asking really a three-part question. Is it an easy decision for you, A, B, is it going to depend heavily on the offers that you receive for both, and C, in conjunction with both of those, do you think that there would be a large discrepancy between the offers that you would get for both. And hold on, I'm not done yet. D, um, which do you think would get the higher offers? So basically, let's give me your give me your Simmons or Embiid diatribe. I, I would say that Embiid's the better player. I would say that Simmons would fetch the bigger ask on the market. I would choose to build around Simmons, assuming that whatever he did to his knee and back this year looks very clean. Um, if that's muddied in any way, I, I would go the other way with it. I think that there's a chance that no matter what happens, Embiid is going to want to leave. So I wouldn't want to risk choosing him and then him walking. I think it's possible he might have already seen enough. Really? And and they might just have to dramatically turn things around to get him to change his mind. And that's going to be a serious uphill battle with a below average front office with some terrible contracts on the books. Was um, that was that A B C and D? Yeah, you, you hit you hit everything and really well and succinctly. Man, you're you're good at, at at using few words to say your point, whereas I use five times as many words <laughs> as I need. Um, but I guess that's why somebody gave me a podcast. Um, I think that the Embiid situation. What is my daughter? My daughter is like slowly inching over here. She wants something. Do she? Do you want to show me something, hun? She no? disagree with. She would build around Embiid. Would you build around Embiid or Simmons? Your other sister? No, it, it's neither of these are your sister. Okay, I'll, I'll talk to you in a bit. Um, where's your other scissor? I don't know where you're. I'm leaving this in the podcast, by the way. Um, I don't know where your other scissor is, hon. Ask mommy. Um, uh, I think the Embiid situation is low key the most fascinating situation in the league, other than like the obvious, like Giannis, where is he going to go? Um, because I think it has a lot of layers to it, as you just implied. One, I think it'll be easier for you guys to build around Simmons. Uh, let me rephrase that. It'll be easier for you if you have to choose one, um, given the like situation right now. I think it, Simmons is the easier pivot point to keep, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And 
there's, you know, and if you're, if you're the Sixers and you get the sense that this is coming down the pike, like, you know, Utah once upon a time traded Duran with, was it two and a half years left in his contract or was maybe it was one and a half? It was, it was early. So it's, I blocked a lot of that Nets history. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> so it's not like this would be unprecedented. Um, and you know, I, I mean, well, let me ask you if like, he seems like the type of guy that could make life around the organization, just an absolute fucking misery for everybody involved. If he wanted to. Yeah, I think, I mean, he moped through this season. Legit. He moped. He, he reminded them of that. He missed Butler and Reddick throughout the year. He, you know, he's talked about his role. He calls out Simmons quite a bit in a passive aggressive way routinely. Like he'll say, you know, I, I shoot more threes than I'd like. We all do our part to stretch the floor for each other. So we all just got to help each other out. Oh, wow. He says stuff like that. I didn't even realize that. And then he, and then he drowns it in positivity. And then I'll say, but I love it. You know, I love this. I love that. We have the right thing. So, you know, he doesn't hide these things. If you listen to everything he says, you can often, he had this quote that I found interesting. He said tons of positive stuff, but asked about what his off season was going to look like. He kind of brought up maybe leaving Philly. He was like, look, I've always said, if I want to stay here, if I'd love to finish my career here. And if I do good, oh, I heard that. Not, I heard that I'll quote. On. Yeah. So I heard, I heard that. Um, I think he was pretty appalled with everything that's happened. It's um it's going to be fascinating. And then the only other thing I wanted to say, which is really going to make this even more fascinating, is is it only going to be O'Reilly? And I, I don't I'm trying to think of who I would even put in this category running a team nowadays. I don't know that anybody else gets that benefit of the doubt of someone who just has an undying steadfast belief that if we get a guy in our program, our program will win out over the guy's less than desirable qualities. Um, you know, because if other than Riley, a GM is any GM making such a move would be like, Holy shit, we're going to give up whatever the hell it's going to take to get this guy. And then pray that he, what like gives a shit. And that's why every time I've brought up a like fake and be trades, Nick fans come at me and they're like, this is really the guy that you want to hit your, hit your wagon to and I get it it's I don't it's not you know it's not crazy so I I think you know I probably said a lot of stuff that makes it sound like maybe you should stay away with the monster package but I really do think that Joel is a winner you know you see you've seen him out there lumbering through a knee tendonitis against Toronto but he had like a plus 90 on the series and they almost beat a team who's definitely better than them and I think if you just put like the right pieces around him, if someone had had the idea that maybe Covington or Butler should be alongside Ben at the four, Joel at the five, and just a couple, a Derek Fisher type, a George Hill type at the one, I think they'd be fine. And I think he would be seen as a positive leader rather than, you know, maybe someone who has moped. But he has seen such a ridiculous amount of mistakes that I, I think it's reasonably frustrating to a degree. Yeah. And I, I mentioned this to somebody recently. I don't like when you're raising a kid, um, if, if you give in to the kid enough that you can't put that, uh, genie back in the bottle. It's like the kid knows he can get whatever the fuck he wants or she can get over what she, what she wants. Like my daughter, um, like Joelle knows it's like, 
which is what we talked about at the beginning. He's he's in with one of those owners, and it's like, I don't, yeah, I don't know how much that maybe has to do with it. Um, I just think the guy is could be the best player in basketball for a, a year or two stretch if he wants to. And I believe whether it's in Philly or someone else, there will somewhere else, there will be a year where he will come out and he's actually going to like, he'll just put a team on his back and win a championship. I'm, I'm, I don't want to say I'm convinced that that's going to happen, but I would bet on it. I think, I think it will happen. Yeah. I think he might need the right program. You know, to that point, you're right. Accountability has not been Brett Brown's strong suit. That's been pretty well (laughs) as we about, as we know from Josh Richardson the other day. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that's, that stuff is fair. And Maybe in a good program, I would ha- definitely put him on a Kawhi Leonard regular season program. I-, I wouldn't want him trying to, you know, people make this big deal of what shape he's in. And a lot of that's fair. But I think also a lot of it is exaggerated to the degree like Shaq was never in incredible shape. And part Shaq of that played is- himself into shape, which is was fine. And, you know. Yeah. So part of that to me is when you're that big. You don't want to be. You can't practice like Russell Westbrook practices. You want those rest days. They're much more important to you. Um, but so get him out there when he's perfectly healthy, going into the playoffs. And if a program could do that, he could do some real damage. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I'm. Gosh, it, it, this will. This was the most fascinating situation in the NBA heading into the year. I think it's still going to be the most interesting situation in the NBA heading into. Um, Next year, and um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Meanwhile, I'm going to go bring that um, Harris trade to Mr. Dolan. See if he signs off on it. Um, my fingers are crossed. I actually hope that they that they don't let me do that one because <laughs> I, I think I'm going to regret it. I, I was about to say. I think that's the type of trade where the GMs do have a, like uh, the the was it, there was a famous story of like the GM of the Yankees and the Red Sox back in the day agreed to trade like like Joe DiMaggio for Ted Williams or something like they got drunk and did it. And the next morning they called each other up and like, yeah, no, it's not doing it. I, I would leak that the owners made me do that. <laughs> I would, I would leak that anybody but me made me take on Tobias Harris's contract willingly well, without putting a gun to my head. Hey, but you could sell the Long Island thing. Yes, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sell the Long Island, Long Island connection. Um, and Dave, this was great. Um, can you, I know we talked about it uh, at the start, but can you just tell uh, folks at home, anybody who might not know where they could find you and your stuff? Yeah, you can find me at David Early, just like early morning on Twitter. And I write for Liberty Ballers with SB Nation. And you really are like, you put in the work and it shows and uh, it's it's great to read your stuff. Um, everybody Likewise, else. Thank you. Yeah, no, of course. There's a long time coming and it certainly won't be the last time either. Um, everybody at home, thank you for joining us. Um, I hope today was um, a welcome distraction, and we will be back with you soon.